Let us pray. Our almighty and most gracious God, we have heard your word this day. And we pray that you would bring this word to bear upon us, to change us, to renew us, to draw us nearer to you, O Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the very Spirit that you have given to us to dwell with us and to be in us. Help us to know the work of the Spirit that you have promised through your apostles and that we would be evermore in your presence because of his presence with us. And we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Where do you abide today? Where do you find your rest? I think that this is a key to understanding this gospel passage that Jesus gives to us today. And I know that the English word abide does not occur in our gospel passage today. But the word in Greek behind our English word abide does. It's just that the English translators decide to use one of the other words that basically means the same thing. The word abide occurs in our text when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. There in verse 17, Jesus says, You know him, for he dwells with you. Right there is the word abide, for he abides with you and will be in you. I know for myself, whenever I think about the word abide, I don't really think about any other passages in the Bible except for John 15. In John 15, it speaks of the branch and the vine. It speaks of going from there to the reality that as the branch has to abide in the vine, so must we abide in Christ. So must we find our dwelling, our rest in Christ. And we always, for me anyway, I always think, if I hear the word abide in reference to the Scriptures, I think of John 15. But the reality is the word abide is all over the place. It's here in our passage today in John 14, and it's in our passage from 1 John 3. If you were listening, you would have heard it. About four times, I think. Maybe just three times there in the passage. Abide, abide, abide. And that made me have to think here, when we see it paired together like that, that the word abiding, the word dwelling, is key for understanding what God is telling us today in His Word. How He is speaking to us now. The word abiding is important. Where we rest is important. Psalm 1 introduces the entire book of the Psalter with a statement. It says that blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners and doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But that man is blessed who delights in the law of the Lord. That right there is abiding in the most practical sense. The one who You can either abide with the ungodly by sitting and walking and standing with sinners and scoffers. Or you can delight in the law of the Lord, which means that you are abiding in the law of the Lord. And if you're abiding in the law of the Lord, then you are abiding in Christ. Because Christ is the fulfillment of that law. Christ is the one who brings that law to its fulfillment, brings it to its completion, and brings new life to us. The man who lives and abides in the way of sin is not blessed by the Lord. He is not living in the Lord to receive his blessings. 
Sure, that man who abides in sin may have good times. He may have good things that come and happen. But, ultimately, he is not living in the blessings of God. The blessing of God is not with such a situation because that person is not resting and dwelling and abiding where he should be. With God himself. And it's a beautiful thing to see this and to dwell in it. To dwell in understanding dwelling. And it all wraps together with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. It's all combined together in our passage today. Jesus begins simply by saying, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's easy to sit there and hear that extreme conditional statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I can see someone walking away and saying, well, I struggle to keep the commandments that Jesus has given. I struggle to keep the commandments of God. Therefore, I must not really love Jesus. I must not love this Lord who has laid down his life for me because I struggle with keeping them. I'm not perfect because isn't that what he's asking me to do, to keep his commandments completely and perfectly? But I don't think that's what that means here. The reality is, yes, it's conditional, but we have to remember the fullness of Christ's commandments. Throughout John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, he keeps coming back to this idea of love one another. Serve one another. Give of yourself to another. And that's one of his commandments. But John reminds us over in his epistle that another commandment of Christ is to believe in Christ. To trust in him. Why would I trust in him if I'm perfect? I need not a savior if I am a perfect being. Because the savior is saving me from my imperfections. And so bundled up in that keeping the commandments of Christ is trusting in Him and believing in Him, which means recognizing that I can't keep those commandments perfectly, that I am a sinner in need forgiveness. And so part of loving Christ and keeping His commandments is actually admitting I'm a sinner and that I don't keep His commandments perfectly. There's a sense in this conditional statement one pastor said that it's a positive condition. That is an assumption that if you love me and I know you do, you will keep my commandments, however imperfectly. That you are striving to keep them. You are striving to follow what Christ has called us to do. And thus that love that you have for him is revealed in the struggle. It is revealed in the striving. It is revealed in your desire to remain with Jesus. To abide in him. You abide in Christ every time you confess your sins. Every time you turn from your sins. Every time you have Positive obedience. You abide in Christ. Every time you turn away from sin, you're abiding in Christ. It's not only that positive obedience, it is the admitting of lack of obedience that is abiding and loving Christ. Because you're still saying continually, I need you, Jesus, to purify me, to cleanse me, to lead me on this pathway. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says after that, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Here we begin to get the sense that Jesus is not going to be with his disciples forever. He has spoken of how he will leave them already. And they were despondent at that reality. But here he reminds them again, I will not be with you, but 
I will ask the Father. I will tell the Father. I will come before the Father and ask Him to send another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. That Helper is the Holy Spirit. And the word behind that is a beautiful word, paraclete. The paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the advocate. The one who comes to stand beside you and intervene for you. To empower you, to strengthen you. It has such a wide, beautiful meaning. And here, comfort is one of the main ideas coming out. Because Jesus is talking about leaving his disciples during all of this speech that he's giving them. This interaction, this teaching. He keeps coming back to the reality that He will leave and they will be alone. They will be despondent because of that and they are already despondent because of it. But Jesus says, You will have a helper, a comforter who will be with you forever because I will ask the Father and He will give Him to you. And this helper isn't just a power. It's not just some force behind the scenes working in us. No, this helper is the third person of the Holy Trinity. For how could a force intercede for us? How could a force advocate on our behalf? How could a force comfort us? The very reality of that word, paraclete, demands that we recognize the full personhood of the Spirit within the Trinity. That the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Truly God. But not the Father and not the Son. A distinct person within the Trinity who who acts And who wills along with the Father and the Son for He shares that same will of God. Who comes and dwells with us. Who dwells with us even now. But the world cannot receive Him because it refused to receive Jesus. The Spirit of truth brings truth to us. And the world doesn't want the truth because it wants to abide in itself. But the Spirit is working in us to cause us to see the truth, to understand the truth. And Jesus says that He is already with His disciples. If we remember, this is the night before He is crucified. And so the Holy Spirit is already dwelling with the apostles, with the disciples there with Him. He dwells with you. And some of us may be shocked because we get so focused on Pentecost being the moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out. But the Holy Spirit has always been active throughout this Bible. He has been active from the beginning all the way to the end. He is who hovers over the waters and brings calm to the chaos. The Spirit comes and hovers over the waters and is active in creation. The Spirit is who empowers so many of the prophets throughout the Old Testament. And behind the scenes, the Spirit is the one who has enabled every believer to believe. Whether or not Scripture has made it absolutely clear in the Old Testament that the Spirit is the one who is active in the believers in the Old Covenant, He is. For we are marred by sin and we are sinners and we neither seek nor pursue God. We don't seek after Him. We don't chase after Him. We don't look for Him as He is. Unless the Holy Spirit is at work in us and dwelling with us already. And so for the disciples here, because they have already begun believing in Jesus, because they have been following Him and have been hearing His Word, the Spirit is active in them. He is dwelling with them already, abiding with them. But at Pentecost, He will be poured out in a new way to empower them to become the gospelers, to become the witnesses, to become 
the full-born apostles who are sent out by Jesus to proclaim the gospel of salvation and the forgiveness of sins through His death and resurrection. The Spirit will be poured out in a new way at Pentecost, but the Spirit has always been active. He's just been so hidden that people barely recognize Him. And Jesus brings Him to the forefront here that He is at work in the disciples even at this moment. And He will empower you in the future and will be in you in a new and different way in the future. The Spirit is the Advocate, the Helper. He intercedes for us when words are lost in us. When we can't think of what to pray to the Father, He intercedes with groanings beyond our understanding. That is how He is our Helper. That is one of the ways that He is our Helper and our Comforter is being an Advocate who speaks on our behalf to the Father as Jesus is our Advocate who stands before the Father pleading our case, the Spirit gives us the words and speaks for us as well before the Father, that we would receive gifts and blessings, that we would receive His power more and more to walk this path that Jesus has called us to, that the Father calls us to. And what does this mean? If the Spirit is dwelling with us, if He is in us, it means that we will not be orphans anymore, Jesus says. He tells His disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Every year when I come across this passage, I have back and forth with it. Is Jesus talking about his resurrection or is he talking about his ascension? A little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. There's a sense in which it is both at the same time. But more and more I'm becoming convinced that he is hinting at his very ascension in this moment. Let a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because in his resurrection, the world could see Jesus. He was bodily raised from the dead. He was made alive from the dead. He could be seen and felt by anyone who encountered him. But I think he is saying here, a little while and the world will see me no more. As in, a little while after this night... I will ascend into heaven. I will be lifted up out of your sight and out of the world's sight. And yet, even in that lifting up and going away, you will still see me. How is that? Why is that? It is because the Holy Spirit dwells with His people. The Holy Spirit is in His people. The Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus and brings Jesus to us. They are one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And wherever one person of the Trinity is, the whole Trinity is there in that person. They are distinct, yes, but yet they interpenetrate one another such that when the Spirit is in our midst, as He is right now, whether we feel it or sense it or understand it or not, He is in our midst because of the Word. Therefore, Jesus is in our midst through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have to receive new eyes to see that reality. To never say, if only Jesus was here because He is here. Jesus is here right now with us in our midst. Because we are His people. We are united to Him in our baptisms and in our faith. And in the Spirit dwelling with us, being given to us for that very purpose to Bind us up to Christ. In Christ sharing our humanity. 
We are united to Him. And in the Spirit coming to dwell in us, we are united to Him. Both things unite us to Christ. And in faith, we experience that union. Through baptism, we are given the promise and the gift of that union. And called to believe in Jesus and trust in that union. And thus, in Jesus' ascension, the disciples still see Him because the Holy Spirit comes to be with them, to open their eyes to the reality that it was better for Jesus to ascend. He says, it is to our advantage that I leave. Because when I leave, the Helper will come, the Comforter will come, the Paraclete will come. And He will unite you to me in a way that you cannot fathom. He will bring me to you and bring you to me. And as Jesus lives, you also will live. Jesus is raised from the dead into new life, into eternal life, into a life that He had always had in His divinity, but yet is now poured out into His human nature and glorifies Him in a way that we can never imagine until we see it face to face when He returns or we are taken up into heaven and death. But He yet lives, and so also will we live. And here is a promise of not only spiritual life, but new bodily life. For Jesus lives on in a bodily form. He remains in His humanity. He remains perfect. Perfectly united. And because He lives, we also live. And we come to know that He is in the Father, He says. And if He is in the Father, we are in Him, and He is in us. The beauty of the union that we have with Jesus so much so is that as He is in the Father, we are in Jesus. And if we are in Jesus, that means that we are in the Father with Jesus. And if Jesus is in the Father, and He is in us, that means the Father is in us as well. That the Trinity Himself dwells in us through the Spirit and through faith in Jesus. And we are bound up together. And thus we are insured, we are assured, we are guided, we are built up in order to follow that path that Jesus then comes back, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Isn't it beautiful how Jesus does that in Clusio? He starts in that statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and then teaches us about the work of the Holy Spirit, the giver of truth, the spirit of truth. The one who binds us up that we would receive the life of Jesus so that we might live. And that with whom through the Spirit we see Jesus wherever we are. And then he comes right back around to whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. He reminds us that we are able to keep his commandments because of the Spirit. And that that is a demonstration of our love. That is a bringing out of our love for Him because love is invisible. It is only seen in our actions and our behaviors. And thus, if we truly love Jesus, we are going to begin pursuing the commandments that He has given us. And when we see those commandments and see that we have failed in those commandments, we turn in repentance and cry out, Have mercy on me, a sinner, O Lord. And you know what? Jesus is gracious and gives us mercy. Jesus is good and compassionate. And in fact, I would say even joyful to give us His mercy. It brings Him joy to restore sinners back to His presence. It gives Him joy to apply His salvation that He has won upon that cross to us sinners. It brings joy 
to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to apply salvation and redemption and renewal to each and every one of us every time we turn and confess our sins. Because that was the whole point of Jesus' death and resurrection was to bring us into relation to the Trinity. To remove the stumbling block between us. To remove the sin and the death that stood in the way of why God created us, which was to know Him, to enjoy Him, to revel in His goodness. And thus, when we turn and confess our sins, God isn't begrudging, He isn't angry, He isn't indifferent. He looks joyfully and says, Of course, for the sake of Jesus, you are forgiven and restored into my presence every time you turn and look to me, and in that we abide in Christ. And we don't abide in the world. But when we turn from Christ and we turn from keeping His commandments and we turn from repentance and from faith, we turn away from our confession, we begin abiding in the world and that is the dangerous track that we can fall into, the ruts that we can go into is turning away from Jesus and not even realizing it because we begin pursuing and abiding in the world and finding our rest there. And that is the danger that we Christians face each and every day, being blinded once more by the world, losing our eyesight of seeing Jesus where He is, losing our love in our keeping of His commandments, finding them hard and burdensome because we aren't depending on the Spirit. We aren't receiving the One who dwells in us to empower us, to give us the strength to abide in Christ and find our rest in Him. But all it takes is a moment of recognizing once more that Jesus is Lord, that He is Savior, and that He receives us. Whatever wicked deeds we commit, He receives us back the moment we confess and turn away from those sins. He receives us back because He has bought us. He has redeemed us. He has made us to be one with Him. And He pours out upon us His blessings when we turn to return and rest in Him. When we return to our rest in Him, He receives us back. When we abide in Him, He will always receive us. And so this day, we have a little bit of the ascension creeping in already. We have Pentecost creeping in already here in the midst of our Easter season, and that's a good thing. Because Easter leads to ascension and that leads to Pentecost and that leads to the new Christian life, the new way of life, the new way of being human that Jesus has paved the way for, that we get to participate in new creation and He lays the groundwork here of how that's going to happen for us to hear about now. Something that started over 2,000 years ago is now continuing to go on in each and every one of us. And so yes, Jesus does say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But remember, His commandments are to abide and rest in Him, which means receiving His forgiveness, receiving His favor, which means confessing our sins. And that's where we start in keeping His commandments, confessing our sins and repenting, living the new life, knowing that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do that very thing, the Spirit who has been given to us freely. And so I pray that each and every one of us daily will turn back to Jesus and abide and rest in Him. That we will receive what He has given us. 
It's not our strength that carries us back to abiding in Jesus. It's simply giving up. It's simply saying, I am a sinner in need of salvation once more. It's simply praying that beautiful orthodox prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And believing it and knowing that that is a true statement about yourself and about what Jesus will do, that He will joyfully have mercy. So I pray that we are released from our fear of turning back to Jesus. That we know that we are not orphans and that He has come to us to save us, to redeem us, to enable us to love Him and to keep His commandments. And that's why He can say, if you love me, because I have made you to. I have empowered you to. I have given you the ability to love me once more. And through that, you will keep my commandments because you were made to do so. You are able to do so by my working in you with the Spirit, this helper, this comforter that I have given to you. And so, beloved, receive the Spirit this day anew. Receive His abiding presence that you would abide in Christ and find your rest in Him alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.